Looks like we survived the fair. Barely. <laughs> God is good all the time. And he has been good to us today. For several weeks now, we've been studying uh, the Holy Spirit. Last week, we got back on the trail. We've been off for a few weeks. We talked about that, uh, that part in Romans 8, verse 14, where Paul tells the Christians at Rome to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. And we talked about what that means to us and how the Spirit, God's Spirit, gives us what I'll call power-assisted living. And uh, we still have to steer the wheel. We have to press the brake. But if you're power-assisted, you get a lot more done, and you have a lot more success. Today, I want to talk uh, about the baptism in, with the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's just a couple more areas I want to cover. This is one of them. Maybe um, next week, uh, I'm just going to call it odds and ends or miscellaneous or whatever it is, but probably next week will be our last time with this. Uh, but on Sunday evenings, uh, we are going to talk about the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. But that's going to be in the context of that class. We're doing 1 Corinthians now anyway. And we're eventually going to get to chapters 12, 13, and 14. And that would be the best time. And maybe it's the, that's the best time and place to talk about uh, the gifts of the Spirit anyway, the miraculous gifts. But for this morning, I just want to, I want us to spend some time thinking about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. What do you know about the baptism with the Holy Spirit? You know, we don't talk about that very much in the churches of Christ. Um, and probably there's a, there's a good reason for that. But I know that you probably have friends who go to other churches. And uh, your friends may be going to a church that emphasizes the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Pentecostal churches, charismatic churches, Assembly of God, the Church of God based in Cleveland, Tennessee, uh, Foursquare Gospel. I mean, you can go on and on and on. And uh, there are a lot of charismatics in the Catholics now. There are charismatic Lutherans. I mean, this is amazing, isn't it? Uh, that's, those two things don't seem to go together, charismatic and Catholic, but they do for some people. But uh, you may have some friends, in fact, I'm sure you do, who from time to time are, are talking to you about the fact that they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, and they're urging you to, to become involved. Almost any church that practices tongue-speaking is going to talk to you about baptism with the Holy Spirit. Uh, they, they emphasize it. And uh, they're, they're telling you, hey, man, you don't know what being a Christian is until you've, you've got the Holy Spirit. And uh, you need to pray for it. You need to ask for it. And that, that's why you don't have it yet. You're not asking for it. And uh, after you've had that conversation, you kind of feel like, well, maybe I am missing out on something. And uh, maybe I do, do need to do what my, my friend is saying. But I, I want to take a good look at the places in the New Testament where baptism with the Holy Spirit is actually mentioned. And sometimes I'm going to say baptism in the Holy Spirit, sometimes with the Holy Spirit. Uh, it it kind of goes back and forth depending on what translation you're looking at. But I want us to ask some questions about this as we go to those. There's only three, four, maybe five places in the New Testament where the baptism with the Holy Spirit is actually mentioned. So this shouldn't take us too long. I mean, we've only got five scriptures to work with. And it shouldn't take us too long. But I want us to ask some questions as we're looking at these places. First of all, what is the baptism with the Holy Spirit? What's it for? What does it signify? Who is it for? What's its purpose? Should every Christian experience it? 
Is it something that we should expect and pray for today as Christians? And so I just want you to kind of keep those questions in mind as we, as we move along through this. But the very first time in our New Testaments where we come across this term, baptism with the Holy Spirit, is in the ministry of John the Baptist. And so we're looking at Matthew chapter 3, Luke chapter 3, Mark chapter 1. Those are the places where John's ministry is, is basically described. And I'm looking especially now in Matthew chapter 3. I want to read those words because here's a description of what things were like when John the baptizer was preaching in and around Judea and Jerusalem and in that area. But when he, that is John, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now that's a way to greet people at the door, isn't it? Uh, uh, anyway, and then you have them fill out a visitor's card after you tell them that. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. And he goes on, verse 10. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then we come to verses 11 and 12. These are the verses I want you to think about mostly. He says, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so John the Baptist is the first to mention this thing called baptism with the Holy Spirit. He also mentions it uh, in conjunction with a baptism with fire. And those are two things we'll talk about just a little bit here today. But there are some things that we learn about the baptism with the Holy Spirit, as we're just reading here, what John had to say about it. John was a prophet. John was speaking uh, for God. He, and what he's telling us here is the truth. That there's nothing wrong about, uh, about this at all. John was, is a qualified, a qualified fellow to speak for God. And the first thing we learn about the baptism with the Holy Spirit is that it was in the future, as far as John was concerned. It had not occurred as yet. But there was one coming, not in the too far distant future, who would be able to administer this baptism. The second thing you learn about this is that this is something that Jesus would do, and it was not within the ability of a man, a human being, to perform the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And, I mean, we baptize people all the time here. We baptize them in water. One man can do that for another. But the baptism with the Holy Spirit is the work of Christ. It's only he can do that, and that's what John tells us here. Here's the third thing. We learn about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that we have to think of it in a big enough way to include people who might reject Jesus. Now, that's the thing that kind of blows my mind when, when I stop and think about this, because the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the minds of a lot of people is something exclusively for Christians, only Christians, and it makes you super Christian. You've, re you've got the Spirit when you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, and they make it into some kind of super level of spirituality. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit here, as John describes it, is something that had to be big enough to include people who might reject Jesus. Who does he say this to? And that's why I want to go back to verses 7, 8, and 9 again. Because these are the people, these are some of the people who are standing in front of John when Jesus makes this statement. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. But here's, here's who's standing in front of him. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism... He said to them, you brood of vipers, 
who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Now that's what he calls the people. And two verses later he's saying to them, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now he emphasizes the baptism with fire. There are scenes of, scenes of judgment there. But the, the main point I'm talking, talking about here is that this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit is bigger than just those who might be okay with Christ or who are embracing Christ. It's got to include more people than that because of who Jesus or who John is talking to here. So these are not people who would believe in Jesus. These were people who were opposed to Jesus, not his friends, not his disciples. And somehow, someway, these people will be included in the baptism with the Holy Spirit when it comes. And so go back uh, to verses 11 and 12. And Jesus says there in, in these verses again, and we've already read them, so I'm not going to try to read them again. But Jesus, I want you to notice this, that Jesus says, or John says, that they would be baptized in two ways. There'd be a baptism of the Holy Spirit and a baptism of fire. The baptism of fire is pretty obvious. I mean, as you look at that last verse there, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so, you know, just the, the idea of judgment. Everyone has to go through judgment. Hebrews 9 and 27, it's appointed unto men once to die, and then comes judgment. So the baptism with fire is obviously the great judgment, where all people are gathered before the judgment seat of Christ. It will be a painful, overwhelming experience. I think there will be some pain experienced even for Christians as they see that maybe their sins in a light that they've never seen them before. And they'll have the great joy of Christ coming before the Father and saying all that. I stand for this person. I am, I am this person's Savior. But we understand that the baptism with fire is not a literal baptism. It's not a literal immersion in fire but simply a very painful experience that some people must go through. Now, what about the baptism with the Holy Spirit? It's funny. John said quite a lot about the baptism with fire, but not so much about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And again, it's not a literal immersion in the Holy Spirit. This is a figure of speech. And if you think about water baptism, I think maybe this is the easiest way to think about it. When someone is baptized in water, they are covered over with water. They go under, they're immersed, and they're covered over with water. And as water covers the believer in literal water baptism, the Holy Spirit would cover all people, even those who were opposed to Christ, opposed to him. With, and he would cover, the Holy Spirit is going to cover all of mankind with a spiritual blessing. Something good from God is being conveyed to the people of the world. And that's uh, what we read here in Matthew and that's about all that we learn. We still don't know a whole lot about it, but I, I think we learned that much. Now, this is all repeated again in the other, other place where this is uh, laid out, Luke chapter 3, 16 and 17. This is Luke's version of, of John's words. John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so I'm just saying that there's other places where this thing is repeated, but it's about the time that John came preaching. So that's the first time that baptism with the Holy Spirit is mentioned in our New Testament, and it was a part of the preaching of John the Baptist. 
There's a prophecy made, more or less. The second time in our New Testaments that we're going to read the words, baptism with the Holy Spirit, those words are actually coming out of the mouth of Jesus. And it's over in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, where Jesus mentions to his disciples the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, about three years have passed since the thing with John the Baptist. And uh, all of Jesus' ministry has gone by. He has gone to the cross. He's been resurrected. He has shown himself alive to his disciples for 40 days. They are just now seven days away from the events in Acts chapter 2. That's going to be happening very quickly. But here in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, this is what Jesus said. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard it heard of from me for John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now and in fact just seven days later why the thing happens that we would call the baptism with the Holy Spirit so uh, the scene is set the fulfillment comes just seven days later in Acts chapter 2 when the day of Pentecost had come they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting And there appeared to them tongues as a fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And so uh, they have waited, and on on the day of Pentecost, this great uh, Jewish feast where there's thousands and thousands, perhaps even, yes, perhaps even millions of Jews who have gathered into Jerusalem, uh, the fulfillment comes. Now you notice it's not called the baptism of the Holy Spirit here. But I think it's fairly clear that what Jesus was talking about in chapter 1, that this has to be the fulfillment. This has to be what he was talking about. At least Luke uh, seems to be saying that, hey, you know what Jesus said about the baptism with John or with the Holy Spirit? Here's the fulfillment right here in Acts chapter 2. I want you to notice this too. It doesn't look like everyone there is overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. It seems like the only people who are being affected by this are the apostles themselves. They are being affected. They're they're experiencing it in a personal way. They're the ones who have the little tongues of fire over their head. They're the ones that are speaking in tongues. And other people from other parts of the world are hearing them and and, and amazed that they can speak in in those languages. But it's the apostles who are personally experiencing this baptism with the Holy Spirit. But there is something that happens here that turns out to be a blessing for all who are assembled. Every Jew who is in Jerusalem. Every Jew in all the world. There's a great spiritual blessing that comes on this day. And that is the gospel of Christ is proclaimed for the very first time. The messianic kingdom has arrived. And all of the Jewish nation begins to be invited by God to enter in to that messianic kingdom. Not all of the Jews were personally baptized with the Holy Spirit. But all Jews were given the right on this day to enter in to that messianic kingdom. They all received the, they didn't experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit personally, but they all received the blessing and the benefit of the fact that it did occur on this day. And so this is the beginning of God's new work among the Jews. And we may say, and I think this is maybe a good way of thinking about it, that in a representative way, all Jews are baptized with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The apostles experience it firsthand and personally, but the benefit that came on that day extended to every Jew in the world, everywhere, at all time, in all places. 
Now let's look at the third time in our New Testaments where the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, is found. And this time it's the Apostle Peter who is mentioning the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The words are in his mouth. And this is in connection with what happened at the house of Cornelius. Cornelius was a, was a Gentile, and he was uh, open to the idea of one God, the Jewish God, the God of Israel. Uh, he, he, there was a lot about that God that, that he appreciated. And he even prayed to that God. But he was a Gentile. And in Acts at chapter 10, we have a record of how Cornelius became a Christian how Cornelius entered into the Messianic kingdom. And so in Acts 10, we have a record of the actual event. You can turn over there and read. It's a a long description. Now, what happened was Peter and Cornelius that brought them together and caused Peter to break down a a lot of taboos and to speak the words of of Christ to a Gentile. What what is it that caused Peter to defy 1,500 years of Jewish tradition and prejudice against Gentiles? And suddenly treat them as if they were equal to him before God. That's what, this, that's what chapter 10 is about. When Peter gets to the household of Cornelius, he starts his message with these words. And uh, this, is, this is the New American Standard Version. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. It doesn't matter to God whether we're Jew or Gentile, slave or free, whatever. It, it, it doesn't matter to him. It doesn't matter what nation you come from. He said, God's opening this thing up to everybody. He said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. And those are the words with which he begins the proclamation of the gospel for the very first time to Gentile people. Now, things start to get a little strange here. Before he can finish his message, something strange happens to Cornelius and the people who were in that house. And here's what happened, Acts 10, 44 and 45. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing, from, uh, they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked, then they asked him to stay on for, for a few days. So I, I guess the first thing I want to say is nowhere in those verses, starting back at verse 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, will you read the words baptism with the Holy Spirit. But in the next chapter, chapter 11, the Apostle Peter has to go back from Caesarea, where all this is happening, from the household of Cornelius, and he's got a bunch of Jewish leaders, apostles and elders in the church, who want to know what in the world is going on. They can't believe that any, any good Jewish guy would go out and start including Gentiles in this really good thing that's happening with Christ. It just blows their mind. Peter has to go back to Jerusalem now, And in Acts chapter 11, we read what Peter said to the leaders of the Jerusalem church, apostles and elders, about what he has done and why he did it. And so it's a detailed explanation, and he recounts all the stuff that's in chapter 10. But in chapter 11, Peter gives us uh, some some insight here. And so we come to chapter 11. He's going through the whole thing until until we come to chapter 11, verses 15 and 16. And Peter comes to that moment when he begins to speak to Cornelius and his household. 
And he said, and as I began to speak, he's talking to the apostles and elders there in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. He said, no, this is just like what happened to us. And he's pointing back to Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What Peter is telling us here is that what happened at Cornelius' house is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. He didn't talk, you know, it's not described that way in chapter 10. We get to chapter 11 when he, when he retells it all. He, he says this to those there in Jerusalem. He says, hey, this, was the, this is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. God's pouring out his spirit, not just on us. He's pouring out his spirit on Gentiles also. Then we go on to verses 17 and 18. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also, after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard this, they, were, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. And so Peter identifies what happens at Cornelius' house as the baptism with the Holy Spirit. The same thing which the Jews experienced in Acts 2. And the same thing that John the Baptist was talking about during his ministry. Now, what I want you to see is there's a straight line that runs from John the Baptist and this prophecy about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that goes through Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, and goes all the way through Acts chapter 10 and 11, where we are at the household of Cornelius. There's a straight line that runs through those three points. These three times and places... We know for sure that we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit because the people involved in those things are saying so. And there's only one other verse in our New Testament which might be referring to baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. When I read this verse, usually I'm thinking in terms of water baptism. But the, the actual words in the Greek language are exactly the same as the ones that are used for baptism of the Holy Spirit. But, but here's where... Paul is saying, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. And the, the thing I want to say here is whether you think this is water baptism or whether you think this is baptism with the spirit, that it signified a unity which ought to exist in the body or whatever, doesn't make any difference at all to Paul's point. And so I, I, I just kind of leave that one alone. Now, I just want to back up and tell you what I've told you. I, I want to sort this out from a different direction. There are four things I want you to remember about what, what we said here this morning. The baptism with the Holy Spirit happens twice in our New Testaments. And as far as I know, never happens again. Once for the Jews in Acts 2 and then for the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. The prophetic statement of John the Baptist is fulfilled in these two places. Second thing I want you to remember is the baptism with the Holy Spirit is not a personal experience for every Christian. Not all the Jews at Pentecost are personally baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's only the apostles who are speaking in tongues. It's only the apostles who have that flame uh, dancing over their head. And so we understand that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, even though the benefit of it is going to extend to all people, it was only the apostles who were actually experiencing it in a personal way. The rest of the nation, the rest of the Jewish nation, Jewish people, were baptized in a representative sort of way. And then we turn to the Gentiles. And what I would point out there is not all the Gentiles at Caesarea were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Only those who were at Cornelius' house are personally baptized with the Holy Spirit. They're the ones speaking in tongues. 
But what happens at Cornelius' house has an effect that goes far beyond his house. It involves every Gentile in the world. And so all Jews have been baptized with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. All Gentiles, including you and me, are baptized with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 10 in a representative sort of way. All of us today have received the blessing of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And that is we've been given the right to hear the gospel. We've been given given the keys to the kingdom. You know, Jesus told Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Peter turned around and gave the keys to the kingdom to the Gentile people. Paul gave the keys to the kingdom to the Gentile people. That was because of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. But we have been given the right and the ability to hear the gospel, to believe it, to repent, to be baptized and to be added to the kingdom of God. And that is the benefit or the blessing that comes to all people because of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, let's talk a little bit more about the significance of the Holy Spirit. The significance of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Some have tried to make Acts 10 and Acts 11 prove that water baptism has nothing to do with becoming a Christian. And they point out, and rightly so, that the Spirit fell upon these people. The Spirit came upon these people at Cornelius' house before they were baptized. After the Spirit falls, then Peter commands that that they be baptized. But the Spirit does fall on these people before they're even baptized. But here's what I want to say. That's not the issue that's being settled in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. That's not why Luke wrote those two chapters. That isn't what it's about. The issue was not whether someone could be saved before baptism. The issue was whether a Gentile could be saved at all. And that was the significance of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. God had to do something extraordinary. Crack the Jews out of their tradition, out of their prejudice, to get them to step across the line and to, and to begin to spread the gospel to the Gentile peoples. And when Peter had gone through this whole thing there with the leaders of the Jerusalem church, he presented all the evidence. What was the conclusion that the Jerusalem leaders reached about what had happened at Cornelius' house? And here it is. It's chapter 11, verse 18. When they heard this, they quieted down and they glorified God, saying, Well then. God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. God has opened up the door to Gentile people. It's not just about Jewish people. It's about Gentile people, and that's good news for us because we're Gentiles, okay? And here's the fourth thing I want you to see. The presence of the Holy Spirit in us is not a matter of tongue speaking or any or claiming that we've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit in us is summed up In Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. These are the children of God. It's demonstrated. The presence of the Holy Spirit is demonstrated. In our faith and trust and obedience to the word of God. It's seen in the development of the fruit of the Spirit. It's seen in the fact that we are putting to death. The deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. It's seen in the peace that we may have the peace that passes understanding. It's seen in joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's shown in us being faithful in the good times and in the bad. These are the bona fide evidences of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. Maybe there's someone here this morning that's not a child of God. And uh, uh, 
I haven't really preached first principles, I guess you could say. This is just kind of explaining some things. But I, I know that it would be a thrill to all of us if there was someone here this morning who was not a Christian and you said, today's the day. Today I want to become a child of God. And uh, when we sing our hymn of invitation, we're inviting you to come. To, and God has given you this right. To come, confessing your faith in Jesus, repenting of your sin, ready to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and that you might be added to the body of Christ. And maybe there's a Christian here and, and as uh, Rich said in his prayer at the very beginning, if there's someone who's kind of strayed, strayed away, someone who has kind of wandered off the path, and you know that you need to get things back on path, back, on the, back in, the, in the way it should be, this would be a great time and a great place for you to just take care of it. Just say, Lord, I'm going to come before these people. I'm going to ask for the prayers. I'm going, to, I'm going to repent of what it is that's been pulling me away. I'm going to get back on the path. That's what you need to do. If you need to respond to the invitation, I want you to just come to the front.